Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to all of our elementary age kiddos who are joining us this morning in our service, which is why we had our kids' worship team participate in that first song. That's why Pastor Ty is in the room and all his leadership. Thank you so much to everybody who volunteers in our kids' services on Sunday mornings, and welcome into the auditorium as we do a family service today. And I'll tell you what, what an amazing start to a Sunday morning and start to a new season here at Cedar Valley. We do one thing in the locker room for Kennedy football. When something really good happens, coach always screams, give me three claps. So when I tell you, give me three claps, I want us to do three claps all at the same time. Give me three claps. (laughs) We're not ready, but we're close. Give me three claps. Y'all at home don't hear that. There's like 10,000 people in this room and that's loud. Some people are like, this is like a tailgate to the Vikings game. We're tailgate, just getting ready. But we host the Raiders today, right? No, we, well, we, meaning Broncos, we host the Raiders today. Y'all host the Buccaneers. But hey, fantasy's kicking off today, too. In, in one league, I'm supposed to be the champion. In the other league, I'm supposed to be champion. So that's going to be great. I love fantasy football. I'm just kidding. I'm 10th. I'm projected 10th in a 10-man league, so that's great. And in the other one, I'm projected 6th in a 10-man, or like a 14-man, that's the staff. Anyway, it's fantasy football start, it's NFL football start, it's Believer's Baptism Sunday, it's house party, the start of life groups. For many people, it could be a new season, fresh breath of air. What an amazing time to be at church, and a super special welcome To those of you who came this morning because someone you love dearly was baptized, uh, you know, that happens every time we do Believer's Baptism. If you came, welcome to you. We're so happy uh, to have you in the room. Today, we're going to shine for the rest of our time a real bright light on the church and what we know really matters to God, and we say it, it's discipleship, right? We say leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. We're going to shed a bright light on that. We're going to take a look at really two things. The church at large, which would be corporate worship, what we're doing right now. This is corporate worship. This is the big church, the body of Christ. We're going to talk about the church. And then we're also going to take a look at the church in groups, which would be smaller groups, godly community. When the big church becomes small, um, really we would say if it's the body of Christ and these are like the body parts of the body. We're going to talk about both of those um, today, and I'm really excited about that. So for the last time today, until we're done, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read our primary text. For those of you who are visiting or you're new, we don't do this every time we read, but the first time we read from God's Word, we do it as a reminder. It's reverence to Him. This is God's Word. This is not man's Word. This is God's Word for us today. If you don't have a Bible, Uh, You don't need to go buy one. We have plenty of them on the tabletops just outside these doors. You're welcome to go and grab one. Uh, There are some in Spanish and there are some in English, so just be sure to get the one in the language that you prefer. We're going to read one verse, Matthew 16, verse 18, and it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We know that you are in this room. We can sense it. We can sense your spirit. We can feel your spirit. And we thank you that you are in this room. We've come to gather, to lift our voice, to worship you, to give, to celebrate, to learn, to be together. All of this to honor you, to glorify your name because you are worthy. It is a privilege to praise you. So God, I pray for the next 20 minutes that you would not just use me, but anyone else who's participating, and that you would break in uh, strongholds, that you would loosen strongholds, that you would soften hardened hearts, that you would speak in a way that someone would say, there's no way that person would know anything about this. That has to be God. So I pray for God moments to take place. I pray for this idea of a fresh new breath, this this fresh breath, new season, God. Encouragement in every soul, your peace that goes beyond understanding in every heart. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and together. Everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. You ready for it? You ready for it? Three claps. So you got to be ready for it. That's the thing is he never gives any kind of warning at all. You just got to be ready for it. All right, I want to start by showing you this picture. Y'all don't know anything about a 1987 Ford Mercury Lynx. I'm going to show you this picture here. This was, uh, so this was not, this was our family car, right? My, My brother had this car. Well, dad had this car. Then Isaac, my older brother, had this car. Then yours truly had this car, and then my little sister had this car. We all had this car. Y'all don't know nothing about a 1987 uh, four-cylinder Ford Mercury Lynx. That bad boy, we go way back. Uh, That was my first car, 10th grade in high school. Here was the thing. That was dad's car, and we could use his car, but it was never ours, but we had to keep it clean. And we were responsible for it. Keep it filled with gas, make sure it has its oil changed, you know, check the tires. You gotta take care of it. It's not yours, but you take care of it, you take care of it. You can drive it around. It was very clear to me that my father owned it. It was his, but for sure it was my responsibility. It was a privilege to have a vehicle in high school, especially one that looked like that. I mean, what a, listen, when, I, when, I, when, when it was time to park in the morning, I parked with pride. Reverse park, tilt the wheel, all those things. It was a privilege to have a car in high school, yet it carried a very heavy responsibility to own this car. And that's sort of the idea that I want to talk to you about related to the church. question for you is, whose church is this? Whose church is it? Who owns this church? And, and, and every church, capital C church, whose church is that? And, and maybe the question would be, who's responsible for the church? Who is responsible for this church? Who's responsible for the church? And I, I think it's such a privilege, and it's, such, it's amazing to me how God the Father, how, how this church is his, yet he leaves it um, into the hands of his people. It is a responsibility of his people. This church is, 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 is God's church, but left into the hands of his people. and We are responsible for it. So we read a verse. Let me just kind of set up our verse 
uh, as we work through it. Just a quick overview of where we are in this passage. You can see you have your Bible open to 16, and we're kind of right dead smack middle in the book of Matthew, and when it was written, it didn't have all the chapters, all the verses. This is like dead smack in the middle of his ministry here, and here we see Jesus very busy. You can look back to 15 and 14, and, and you'll recognize a lot of the stories that you were taught as a child with Jesus. So he's very busy doing ministry. He's also very busy dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they continue to attack him and try to corner him and to get him hung up on different things. And he's crossing lakes, so we know he's like in a Minnesota type of vibe when it comes to land. He's crossing lakes on boats, and, and, and he's doing that. He's also feeding multitudes of people two different times now we've seen Jesus feed multitudes of people with bread and with fish and these amazing miracles that Jesus is doing. He's also going away into the mountains, into the hillsides to pray and to have some, some solitude, right, to, to be one with the Father. We also see Jesus always discipling his disciples. He's always pouring into his disciples. He's always mindful that these disciples are around him and, and he's training them up knowing he's leaving and they will be the thrust of ministry moving forward. So he's mindful of that and everything he's doing, he's aware that there's people watching and he's kind of training on the job. They're in this three-year internship type thing with Jesus, and he's aware of that. Jesus, in my opinion, is probably exhausted all the time. Everywhere he goes, people want Jesus, need Jesus, want something from Jesus. Exhausted time for Jesus. And he asks his disciples in one of those moments, he says, who do they say that I am? And they give Jesus, their answer, and then he turns the question to be a little more personal, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Now, who do you say that I am? That would be a difficult question to get from Jesus. Talk about on the spot, you've got one moment to nail it. I mean, how do you put it all together in one answer? And Peter does it. He nails it. I love that the, the, the translation in the message says that Peter's response, that, that Jesus even says, that's one you don't get from the book. Like, that's not a response you studied for. That response flowed out of you like, like the Spirit of God gave you that response. Jesus was impressed with Peter's response to that question. And then Jesus said to him, so Peter said this to Jesus, then Jesus said this to Peter. He said, now I say to you that you are Peter. And Peter means rock. It's in the Bible in parentheses. It means rock. That wasn't Peter's given name. It was Simon Peter. I'm Amos Joseph. I don't know what you are, but when Jesus or your mother is upset at you, it's Simon Peter. Simon Peter, when you're good, it's Simon. When, you're mad, when he's not good, Simon Peter, right? So now he says, no, your name is now Peter. Your name is Peter the Rock. Now, here's the truth. We know this. If we continue reading, we know that Peter wasn't actually a rock. His faith wasn't rock solid, that's for sure. We know Peter's mess ups, right? And so, so Jesus calls him Peter, not because he had rock-like 
character, but I love how Jesus spoke to Peter and called out the very best in Peter because he knew what Peter would become. He knew that Peter would become the rock. Peter, he knew what, what was in Peter's uh, future. I love that. I love how Jesus was so intentional with calling him uh, the rock. And I just, I put it in my notes so it's worth saying. Some of you maybe have a history with your given name. Maybe one that you're not so proud of and maybe you love your middle name. Maybe it's time to start saying, you know what, from this point forward, I'm going to start going by this name because it has a great meaning and I want to change the season. I want to change the story of my life. I don't know. It's up to you. Let me know if you do that. The second thing is he says to Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter, you are a rock. And Peter, I, Jesus, am a rock. I am the rock. Matter of fact, I am a living stone or I am the cornerstone. And Peter, you're a rock and people like you are rocks and I am the rock. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. On this cornerstone, I will build my church. You ever seen churches around town called Cornerstone Church? This is where they get the idea, right? On this rock, Peter, Jesus isn't saying, I'm building my church on you. He's saying, I am a rock as well. I am the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the question is, so who's the church, right? It's the people. One of my most fond memories of church that, that completely shifted the way I view the church, because I think this is beautiful. If I'm just being really honest to you, 95% of pastors and leaders in the entire world would die to have a church building like this. This is absolutely not the normal, so you know. You see it every week. People don't see this kind of facility every week. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I was in a place called Boca in Equatorial Guinea, Africa, in this remote jungle where there's no running water, no electricity. It's a Spanish-speaking country in Africa, an island off the west side of Cameroon. And we went there with the intention of building churches in jungles with people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus ever, ever, ever walking through the jungle when all of a sudden you come into this village, man-made village, where there's just a handful of people who have been living there for years and years and years. It was absolutely beautiful. You see women walking down the street with a rat holding it by its tail like dinner. I got dinner, right? It would rain so hard every day for like 30 minutes, but when it would rain all the fruit from the trees would fall to the ground. It was like, thank you, God, for being a God of provision. You have provided something for us to eat. You have watered our crops where we have no water. Thank you. It was an amazing experience. We went to church on a Sunday morning 
No electricity, no instruments, no, just, just hand clapping, just singing, and it was an amazing service. It was beautiful. And then when it was time to receive the offering, the pastor got up and, 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 and gave his pitch, just like our pastor gave up and gave the pitch. Like, you know, we, we give, we give so that we can give to others. And when it was time to receive the offering, these beautiful men and women of God would stand up and they would bring with them heads of lettuce, tomatoes, cucumbers, things that they were growing in their, or, or in their own garden. They would bring their first fruits and, and do it. And then the pastor after church would walk the village and ensure that everybody who needed something to eat had something to eat. And he would say, this is from the people. This is from God's people for you. That's the church. The church is God's people. We are the church. It's God's church, but we are responsible for this church. This is also the first time in the Bible where we see the word church used. And this word church comes from the, from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a group or called out of a group. And in this, and in this small verse here, we see how Jesus kind of presents his purpose of the church in four different ways. Number one is it's designed to bring people together. I will build. I will build. The design is to bring people, beautiful people, from every country, every language, every color, every size, people. I will build. It's designed to bring people together. On this rock, I will build. It's a firm foundation. Jesus is a rock that you can trust to, to put your life on, to lean into. On this rock, Jesus says to you, on this rock, I will build my church for you so that you can have a firm foundation. He says, I will build my church. This is a clear claim of ownership. It's clear this is his church. This is God's church left into the hands of his people to steward well, to love other people, to spread the gospel message to other people. This is not ours. We do not own this. This is God's house left into the responsibility of his people. And lastly, he says, and the gates of hell, the powers of hell, Will not conquer it means this church is a refuge. That means to me like every demon in hell and every power in hell all put together all at the same time will not ever have the power to overcome the church. This is God's house. It will never, ever go away. It will never, ever go away. There is not enough power in hell to overcome the church because this is God's house. This is God's church. It's his church left in the hands of his people to bring salvation to everybody. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 69. He said, Passion for your house has consumed me. There's a passion for your house. There's a passion for your church, which really means there's a passion for your people. And it has consumed me because the church is the people and the people are the bullseye of God's heart. That's who he cares about most. 
And the psalmist said, the passion for the people has consumed my heart. My prayer this week has been that the passion for this house would begin to consume all of our hearts, that we would be burdened for the people, burdened for the people, because we know that in this house, two amazing things happen all the time. Forgiveness of sin and healing from that sin. Hey, Amos, 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 I've got a really good verse for this. I've got a really good point. Can you just give me five minutes? Just five. Promise. Five minutes. Five. Five minutes. Yes? It's yours. All right. He's, I can't believe he said yes. Guys, bring everything out. Bring it out, please. Uh, so I've got this really good verse while we get all this set up. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Because of what Jesus has done, we can find forgiveness of our sins, those things that we do and say that disobey God and his word. Thank you, guys. I brought some stuff uh, to help me kind of visualize what we're talking about uh, this morning. If you're at sports camp, this might look a little familiar to you. Hopefully, the table stays strong today. Uh, so we need forgiveness of our sins. When we disobey God and disobey God's word, uh, we know that sin Sin enters our lives, and what was once clean becomes unclean and looks really unappetizing. And in fact, the Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. And we know, because I just told you that 1 John 1.9 says that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. The very next verse, verse 10 well, it says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar, and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. We've all sinned. We've, we've lied. We've taken things that don't belong to us. Uh, we've disobeyed our parents, our teachers, or those in authority. Uh, we've said or done something unkind to somebody else. We've all sinned, and we've all found ourselves in this situation, unclean and in need of a Savior. And because of God's great love for us, he made a way for us to be forgiven. The Bible says that God showed his great love in this by sending Jesus to die for us so that anyone who believes won't perish but will have eternal life. Because of what Jesus did, because Jesus took the punishment for our sins, because he sacrificed his life on the cross for us, all we have to do is confess our sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive us. And when we confess our sins and find forgiveness, well, what was once unclean becomes clean once again. All we have to do is confess, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. But that's not, that's not it. It's not just for me. That's not just for you or for those in this room. The book of 1 John goes on to say that Jesus died for everyone in the world. Anybody can come to Jesus, confess their sins, and anybody will find a faithful and just God who will forgive them. In fact, it says that when Jesus died, like he took the sins of the world upon him so that anybody 
who comes to Jesus will find forgiveness of sin. When Jesus died, he took the punishment for all sin, for all time, so that all people for all time can find forgiveness of sin. Oh, that pours very fast. Jesus takes all sin for all time so that all people for all time will find forgiveness. All we have to do is confess our sins. And Jesus is faithful. He is just. And we find forgiveness of our sins and we'll be cleansed from all wickedness. And it's not just forgiveness that we find. When we find forgiveness, we also find healing. Uh, we find freedom. And, hey, hey oh, Ty. Hey, Ty, since you interrupted Amos, is it cool if I interrupt you and I, I hop on stage? Yes, because I've got a mess to clean up. Amber, can you come back out here? Sweet, We've got a little bit sweet, of a mess sweet. to clean up. Thank hey, can you. Can we give it up for Ty? We are blessed with an amazing, amazing, amazing youth pastor. Ty and Amber do a phenomenal job of leading our kids. Did I say youth pastor? Well, maybe he's going for my job. Kids pastor, that's me. If you don't know me, my name is Nick. And something interesting about me is that I actually grew up here. So I, I grew up sitting right in this section here under the teaching of, of Pastor Jerry. And like Ty said, when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive, but he's also faithful to heal us. And that's my testimony straight up. It's, that's just who I am. So see, I, like I said, I grew up here at Cedar Valley. I had an amazing, amazing youth pastor. I had amazing youth leaders. I had amazing friends in this youth ministry. But something that I always struggled with was just being open, being vulnerable, and confessing my sin. And so what I know now, but what I didn't know then, was that because of my lack of confession, there was actually a lack of healing in my life. And so I grew up, and I, I struggled so much with so many different things, and I kept it all hidden. I kept it all to myself. And James 5, 16 actually supports what I'm saying. He's, he says, hey, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And see, I didn't live that way. I didn't know that. And so as I grew up here, I went to college. I went to the great college of University of Northwestern St. Paul. Go Eagles, right, Neil? That's right. Go Eagles. NCU Rams. We don't need them. <laughs> uh, so I grew up. I, I went to the University of Northwestern, and I was studying youth ministry. I was so excited because I was like, man, God's calling me into the youth ministry. God's calling me into the youth ministry. I meet this girl. Her name's Natalie. She's now my wife. We begin dating, but we both bring our brokenness into our relationship. And since there are kids in this room, I'll spare some of the details. But what I would love for you to do is when there's two minutes left in the Vikings game today, hit pause, kids. Hit pause, turn to your dad or your mom and say, hey, where do babies come from? Just ask them that question. <laughs> That's the best time to have a conversation about these things. Two minutes left in the Vikings game. Just hit pause and ask them. And if you're upset by that comment, my email is amoso at cbchurch.org. Shoot me an email. Uh, <laughs> so I struggle with this stuff. We bring it into our relationship and we, we begin living in sin. And wouldn't you know, we find out that we're pregnant and we're... We're interning for the past two years at Cedar Valley. We're youth leading. We're studying to be pastors, and our lives just slam on the brakes. And we begin wondering, like, what, what, what's going to happen here? There's no chance. We've, we've just given away our only hope of ever doing what we dreamed of doing. There's no chance from this. There's no, there's no turning back. And now we had the opportunity. It was either confess and actually fess up to what's, what's been going on, or we could continue to hide. Only this time, 
the choice of continuing to hide would come at the cost of this newborn, or not newborn, this yet-to-be-born baby's life that is growing inside Natalie. A high cost. By God's grace, by God's strength, he gave us the boldness to not do that. And we, I still remember to this day, we met in Neil's office, me, Natalie, Vicky, and Neil. We all met in Neil's office, and we just began confessing and saying, this is what we've been doing. We betrayed your trust as youth leaders. We betrayed your trust as, as interns. Like, we are so sorry. We've been struggling with this for so long. And Neil and Vicky, they just spoke encouragement over us. They said our call is not over that our life is not over, that there is hope, and in that moment, there began to be healing. I have a picture here, if Mike, if you could throw that up on the screen. Now we have this beautiful family, there's Quinley, who at first we were so terrified of bringing into this world, but she is the biggest blessing of our lives. Please ignore that blonde hair, it was terrible. Please ignore that. But now we're in a completely different situation where we are bringing another baby into this world and we are so excited and God has redeemed our sin, God has redeemed our past and now we get to be the youth pastor and youth associate here. It's been truly such a blessing. There's no other explanation other than God's grace and God's healing because we confessed our sins and we prayed together and God began the healing process right then. And now three years removed, we're back living our dream, redeemed, and now we get to do it free of the hidden sins in our lives. We get to live open, we get to live vulnerable, we get to live free and lead these amazing youth students. I'll pray for us and then we'll go back to Amos's message. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that it is to speak on the stage. Thank you for the opportunity it is to serve this amazing, beautiful church, this beautiful body, God, thank you. God, I pray for all of our kids and our youth in the room, Lord, that they would know that when, with confession comes forgiveness. With confession comes healing. To not make the same mistakes that I did, Lord, but to live open, to live vulnerable, and to see where you take them. I pray that for our adults to model that for our students and our kids as well, Lord. Let us all be a body that confesses to each other, that prays for each other, that receives your forgiveness and your healing. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Taking your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail, and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail and your third fiance didn't show come on sing it all together now sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came you want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same you want to be where everybody knows your name First, you were too shy to sing it like you know it, but can I let everyone else know that I watched that show growing up? I wonder when you watched Cheers, if you did, if you paid attention to the lyrics of that song. There's a couple of things that really stuck out to me. Put the lyrics up. I have some of that. 
just taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away, jump down where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see, aha, our troubles are all the same, aha. You want to be where everybody knows your name. That cannot be truer in a neighborhood, neighborhood bar than it is in a neighborhood church. That cannot be truer. Let me, let me help illustrate where we're going with this thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. There's a picture. I want you to see this picture. It's beautiful. If you live in Bloomington, you see this all the time. This dude's coming in for a kill. He's got the head tilt. He's ready to go, right? He is flying high, ready to come in. And when I think of the church, here's an illustration that hopefully will never leave your mind. On one wing, you have the big church. It's necessary. You have to have Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is critical to our faith. It is so vital to the life of a believer to gather together with other people and to pray and to worship and to learn the scriptures. It is important to belong to a body on the same, in the same story that left that other wing represents the big church becoming a small church where there is encouragement and accountability. So you have in one spread, you have this belonging to the church, the capital C church. I gather corporately with other believers and my faith is strengthened and built. On the other hand, I take the, sm the big church and I make it small and I'm in godly community where I can be encouraged and held accountable. And together when both of those wings are in motion, my friend, we begin to experience significant growth in our life. You've noticed, you've noticed this, that when you don't have one, go to the next picture. When you don't have one, this is what life can be like for you. And you know what it feels like to fly in circles, to fly in circles because you only have one wing. Some people say, I don't need a church to be a Christian. You don't, but if you only had one wing, you'd fly in circles, my friend. Some people say, I just have my small godly community. I don't need the big church. I've got a few friends and they help me and we meet up and drink coffee. My friend, you still got one wing. And if you only got one wing, you will fly in circles. And then there are some of us where this is more like your reality. You've got neither. And you wonder why you feel so alone. You wonder why you feel so broken. You wonder why you feel so distant. God's heart for you is that you would have a place to belong where everybody knows your name. You would be surrounded with godly community so that you can be encouraged and have some accountability in your life so that you can begin to soar in your life. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I sit with people who are older than me, I'm 42 years old, when I sit with people who are older than me and they just want to live. We don't know how much time we have. Some people don't know the feeling of soaring in life. Not because there's the absence of problems and hardship. No, it's just this idea that I am locked into a body of Christ. I am gathered with other believers. I have a place where my faith can be built up, strengthened and encouraged. And I belong to a small group of people who know my name, who know my kid's name, who hold me accountable to the things that God is doing within me. And that's the only reason why I can soar in this life 
aches for those who were designed to soar like a beautiful bald eagle, yet don't have the wings in motion. My friend, I'm here today. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. I am pleading with you. If you do not have community, we welcome you into our community. We want to know your name. We want to encourage you and see your your faith built up. Pleading with you. If all you do is Sundays, I'm asking you, get into a group, a life group, a core group, a support group. Get involved in a group where someone will know your name. If you don't go to groups and you don't even come to church, I'm inviting you to come and be a part of this body. Come be a part of our body. We'll love on you. We'll help you. Everybody that's sitting in this room, those who call this place home, we've all had to experience it at some point where you come to terms with yourself and say, I need something in my life. We talk about getting you out of rows and into circles. I'm here to say we need both. We need both. The basic human desire is to be needed and to be known. To be needed, we need you. God needs you. This church needs you. There are some great big plans out ahead of us. We will not get there if you don't come alongside of everybody else. We need you. This church needs you. Not your neighbor. We need you. You. We need you. We need you. This church needs you. God's church needs you. And we know that you have a desire to be known. I'm going to show you this quick matrix. Just, I just want to give you a quick reference. I want you to know our goal here is for discipleship to happen. That only happens in a culture where there's high engagement and high challenge. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. You need both. You need to be challenged. You also need to be engaged. You need both. We all need both. When that happens, you experience spiritual growth in your life. This is, this is, the, this is the, the picture that I want you to have when you think of, am I growing? Is my group, are my group participants growing? Am I growing as a group leader? Am I growing as a coach? Am I growing as a pastor? Am I growing as a leader? That happens when you're in this environment where there's high engagement, high challenge, where there is both. Discipleship is happening. Group leaders, this isn't the first time you see this. This is the goal. This is why we want you in godly community so that this can happen. So here's our big so what. Everything I said summed up into this. It's an equation. It's a math equation for you, right? It's circles and rows equals everybody grows. Circles and rows equals everybody grows. Everybody grows when you have your circles and you have your rows.